Welcome to BIO, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. BIO is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm BIO member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. On each episode, we'll talk with a biographer about his or her work. This time, a special edition featuring highlights from BIO's 10th annual conference held on May 18, 2019 in the Leon Levy Center for Biography in Midtown Manhattan. The conference panel, Promoting Your Biography, featured public relations experts Declan Tainter and Dan Blank, along with author Melinda Ponder. The discussion was moderated by author Ruth Franklin. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks for joining us this afternoon. We're going to get started. Um, so hopefully you're all here for our panel on promoting your biography, which is something we all have to do sooner or later. Um, to my right is Dan Blank, um, who does marketing. He's the founder of We Grow Media, which is a uh, well, I'm going to let him tell you more about it, but he does book marketing and work on author platforms and general marketing inspiration. Um, Melinda Ponder is the author of Catherine Lee Bates, From Sea to Shining Sea, which is a biography of um, the poet of America, the beautiful. And she is here um, to talk about how she basically ran her own publicity, if I'm correct about sort that, <laughs> uh, with a small press without um, much institutional help. And then we also have um, Declan Tainter, who is a publicity manager at Henry Holt. Um, and he's worked on campaigns for um, books, including uh, Chris Bananas's Biography Flash, which just won the National Book Critics Circle Award. Um, so we've all got, and my name is Ruth Franklin. I'm the author of Shirley Jackson, A Rather Haunted Life, which came out in uh, 2016. So we've all got... Um, different perspectives, different kinds of experience um, in the realm of uh, promoting, um, promotion and marketing. Um, I'm going to turn it over to each of them with a kind of an evil first question, um, which is for in five minutes or less, um, what is, say that you have, you're faced with an author who is six months away from their publication date. Um, an amount of time I've chosen for a reason that we can get into. So you've got six months coming up to pub date, an author comes up to you and says, what is the single most important thing that I can do now to get my book in the hands of readers? What do you tell that person? Um, Declan, would you like to begin? Hi, I'm Declan. Uh, thanks for all coming. Um, I would say if I had an author six months out who I was working for, I would say that the number one mentality that I would want to get in their head is to say that people don't care about your book or you. And I know that seems like a bit of bleak advice, but I think particularly for biography, many of you and many biographers have been working on this subject for 10 years, sometimes even more. You've done intense research. You've done archival work. You've, I'm sure, made your partners crazy with all these crazy details of these people's lives, and the general public is not on that same page. And I think working 
to get them there is possible and doable and something that we should strive for, but I think too, too often people begin thinking that everyone else is as excited as they are about this subject. So to bring it on, the most recent biography I worked on, which was uh, Christopher Bonanos's Flash, which is a really brilliant biography of uh, a photographer named Ouija, who I'm assuming that most of you have not heard of, which is the point, because he's not that notable. I mean, the biography was amazing, and Christopher spent about 10 years in the archives minutely going through things and getting him to the point and us to the point where we knew that we could tell this story begun, begins when we realize that no one else knows the story. Um, and I'd love to get into specifics and details with everyone else later, but I just want to, that's I think the number one advice that I would give to someone six months out. Great. Well, thanks for coming, and um, I didn't do this single-handedly. All my presentations I'm going to talk about a little bit. Um, my publicist is up in the back row. So I would say to this person, if I have the five minutes, first of all, I would second what Declan just said. A friend of mine in Denver who's a civil rights lawyer, a very brilliant woman, was helping me arrange talks there, and she said to me, wow, Melinda, she said, I never knew this could be so much work. She said, I thought you just wrote a great book and everybody bought it. And so, you know, that, uh, that, that isn't the case, I guess I would say. So to this person uh, who's got this new book, I would say, first of all, attend the bio conferences. If your city has a bio group, I'm in Boston, so I go to the Boston Biographers Group where we're so lucky to have uh, Nigel and Ray Shepard and uh, Jamie pops in sometimes too. So um, it's a good idea to have all that support and all the ideas, practical ideas, from people who've done published biographies um, before. Then I would say ask your friends, relatives, and colleagues to help you um, in your promotion. Um, either I, I did a lot of lecture slideshows. I prepared six different slideshows um, about different aspects of my subject's life. Uh, so some were lectures, some were interviews, media interviews, and some were um, book club talks. And then I would say certainly hire, in my case, I hired a website designer who had um, worked with me to design the cover for my book. So she already knew I like blue, and uh, my website, uh, I think, looks great. And little by little, um, we've created it together. And I brought handouts of the presentations I've given. If you want to see them, I, just, I only brought 10, but it, they're on my website, too. So, of course, you need your website to refer people to. So then I also hired my publicist. And so the way that I did this was... I ask myself, where were the places important in my subject's life? Now, most of these places I had made a point of going to. Many of them I'd done research in. So I already had some connections there. So I would set up a talk, say, in Denver and Colorado Springs, and then my publicist would arrange media interviews for me. So I had this cluster of events in various places that were connected with my subject's life. Then um, I thought about organizations that had been important in her life, and the main one for me, 
um, fortuitously, was that she had attended Wellesley College in its second class. She was Katie of 80, 1880, and then she had had her academic career there. And I'm a graduate of Wellesley College, too, and when I announced at my reunion that I was about to have this book come out, many of my classmates then invited me to come to their cities to talk to their Wellesley clubs. So that was a huge help. Okay, it was supposed to be one thing. Well, one thing. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, we'll, I'll stop so there. So let's stop there. Okay, Dan, what about you? Hey, everybody. So the first thing, or the thing six months out, would be get lists of names. Um, when I work with a writer, we create a spreadsheet. So on one tab, we're writing basically everyone that that author knows. And if you, you know, sign with a publisher, they're sending you that same questionnaire. Everyone you know right now, every college you went to, every sorority you went to, every club, every job, everything. So you want to get that out, and later on we'll use that to kind of understand how are we bringing along your people. Uh, close friends might get a certain email. Some people might be readers that you know of. Maybe it's your third or fourth book. But you're starting to kind of get that list down of who would support you, and then you get to brainstorm after that, how can they support you? How can you communicate with them? The next tab, we'd think about everyone who might care about this book. So some of it's what we're saying here. Are there obvious connections? Who are the obvious organizations, the obvious people? One thing that we'll do is we'll create personas. So this is the idea of who's the ideal reader. And we kind of map that out as a person, and we get to say, where does that person show up? What do they read? What podcast do they listen to? What books have they read in the last three years? Um, what events do they go to? All of that. So then we can use that persona to start brainstorming. So we might have on the same spreadsheet a podcast tab. And there's going to be a lot of big obvious ones that you can't get anywhere close to. But even starting with that, you can get to lesser known podcasts that maybe you reach out to. Maybe you just form a relationship with the person who hosts it or the programming director. <clears throat> doesn't have to be just a publicity pitch. It could just be forging a connection. Um, typically, I'd say you do this not just six months before, but a year or more, because I think that inherently we're talking about here is relationships. You want to have relationships with other authors in this niche, with organizations, with uh, perhaps media, with podcasts, with bloggers, with all kinds of things. So the sooner that you can think about who are they very specifically, and we might end up with a spreadsheet that has, you know, 10 tabs. It's not meant to overwhelm you. It's meant to say, well, who are the blogs? Who are the book reviewers? Who are the readers? Who are the, the literary festivals? And you're actually starting to get real names. You don't just say, this literary festival, you start saying, well, who runs that? Who are the top four people? Who are the people I can connect to? What do they share online? What is my way to even establish a connection to them? That's all stuff you can do three years ahead of your book coming out. A nice relationship starter so that when it comes down to maybe the publicist does reach out to them, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I think I got an email from her six months ago, or they, she retweeted me on Twitter, that sort of a thing. Um, and you can do this for kind of secondary audience as well. If you think of the primary audience, you can think of a secondary audience, which is these are who we think the readers are, but maybe there's a secondary connection. Maybe it's regional. So you create a whole different tab of the spreadsheet saying these are all the people in a certain town. And the idea here is to get down to specific names. And that's a place to start because I think it's actionable. I think a big frustration that a lot of authors have is, and we'll talk about some of this, social media and publicity, and it feels so big and so distant. If you, six months out, have a spreadsheet that's kind of sort of organized, 
And it has a list of names of people that you know or you think could connect you to readers or could care about what you do. Suddenly, you have their email address. You have their social media profiles. One by one, you can be forging those relationships. And some of them will form, form right into marketing tactics. Some of them will go right into publicity. A lot of them will just be forming these connections so that you're not publishing the book into like an abyss where, where no one cares about it. All right. So, I mean, one thing that I get a lot of questions about is social media. Um, people, because I, I, I'm a writer who is fairly present on social media. People often ask ask me, "Do I need to have a Facebook page? Do I need to be on Twitter? What should I be doing when I go on social media?" I notice, interesting, interestingly, it's not what the three of you chose to focus on. Um, and one of the terms that we hear get thrown around a lot is the idea of having an author platform. Um, whether it's via social media or some other way. And I wondered if you could just say a little bit about what, the, what an author platform means to you and how you'd advise people to go about, go about developing it or how you develop your own, if that's the case. Since I'm the author, I'll answer, I'll answer first on the panel. Um, because I was... Uh, head of an English, a college English department and an academic who'd published two books on Nathaniel Hawthorne. I used that as the basis for my um, platform. But I ask my publicist to handle my Facebook book page and Twitter because those are not things I like to do with my time. So that was, um, I um, chose this publicist because she would do the particular things that I wanted, not just, you know, huge range. Um, and I wanted her to arrange my TV and radio interviews, which she did. <laughs> I send her material and she posts it for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Declan, when you sign when you're like signing up an author, is author platform something that you think about? Yes, absolutely. Um, it is. We spend an enormous amount of time thinking in the, in the big five publishing, big corporate publishing about author platforms. Um, I think I'm going to be kind of in the minority and say that uh, it doesn't really matter that much in terms of specifically Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. If you are already good at it, then great. Then you can connect with your publisher or whoever and you can become even better at it. If you're not already good at it, you're not going to get better at it by the time your book comes out. It's not going to matter. If you, have, if you have 200 followers on Twitter or less, give up. <laughs> it's my honest... I know that kind of puts me in the minority, but you're, it's, it's like that saying, the best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago. Um, it's a lot like that with social media. Some people are brilliant at it, and it is extraordinarily helpful along the publication schedule, and you can notice that the way that they do it is extremely authentic, and they just are taking their phone, and they're snapping random things, and they're posting at 4 a.m. about TV shows and whatnot. If you're not that gregarious, open, person, don't kill yourself trying to do social media because you're never going to be good and natural at it. The only people who are ever going to get good at social media are the people who are naturally good at it. That's my belief. People may disagree, but I've never seen someone six months before a publication say, time to ramp up my Facebook page. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Dan, what's your understanding? But, of, but yeah. just to be clear, we sign up plenty of people who are not even very good authors purely for the reason that they have 200,000 Twitter followers. It, if, <laughs> and every, would every, you like to name any names? No, I will not name any names, but every, and every corporate publisher does this. 
But if it's not already there, you're not gonna you're not gonna get it on your own. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter who you All hire. Right. Dan, how do you envision the author platform? So I don't view it as a website or a social media. I think an author platform is your ability to communicate, you knowing how to talk about your book in an interesting way, in a human way, and it's building trust. It's having the relationships that you need. So when I think about how social media fits into that, what I think of it is not how you're putting information out there, although that fits into the communication category. If you're gonna speak at a literary festival, it's nice to know that you know how to talk about your book. Maybe you tweet about it to your 200 followers and that makes them happy. I think social media is an incredible when you kind of reverse it. When you think of the people that you have access to on Twitter. So um, I have a podcast, I interview authors and artists. And there's just a good example this week, I interviewed author Chuck Wendig. And he talked about how, you know, he's very active on Twitter. He's one of these people that um, he's talking about. But he talks about it, you know, he'll say, you know, Twitter doesn't sell books, but the thing is it gives you incredible access and it gives you incredible opportunities for connecting with people. His example was kind of unusual and funny where he said, you know, right when they announced the new Star Wars movies, I put a tweet out there saying, gee, new movie's coming out. I'd love to write some books for you guys. And that literally got to people at Lucasfilm. One of the people at Lucasfilm read one of his books and liked it. He ended up getting a three book deal to publish the new Star Wars books. The first one came out a year after the tweet and hit the bestseller list. I'm not pretending that you should tweet a Star Wars tweet and you know that sort of thing, but it's the idea that he didn't put out there this idea of just, here's my book, here's my book, although some of that is in there. Some of that's the communication. When you reverse it, you start thinking, oh, I can communicate with people at that literary festival, at that magazine, that editor, that fan, that reviewer, that other author. And that, I think, is pretty powerful. Right, so paradoxically, the idea is if you want people to buy your book, the last thing you should be tweeting is, buy my book, please, <laughs> right? What kind of content should you be putting out there? My website my, and my publicist has seen that when I'm in a city giving talks, that my, all this information is there so that friends of mine or people who are connected with the college or have any I, interest in, in my subject will come to my talks. Um, but I want to say one thing important that I forgot with my initially. Uh, someone had told me in the beginning that I should go to Wikipedia and read the entry about my subject. And that sounded like a good idea, but I was busy doing other things. So that is something that now I have done after so many people introducing me at talks and the radio and TV interviews especially, especially the TV interviewers, use Wikipedia and there was a lot of erroneous information in my case um, about my subject and so I wish that I had done that in the first place because even when I'm um, getting in touch with libraries or historical societies, even those people will go on Wikipedia and look at it to see about your subject. So I, that, that is sort of a piece of practical advice. Hmm, interesting, yeah, I would never have thought of that. Yes, so I, I finally, it was a very dramatic day when I had, I was, my NPR interview was going to be on um, All Things Considered late in the afternoon. They have a series, American Anthems, and my America the Beautiful was, was the topic. And Eric Westervelt had interviewed me months before and all, and um, I had had to uh, work with the editor and Eric to, to correct what they were going to be saying, which was erroneous. And um, 
I went over to my um, indexer's house, who knows my book very well, and we sat and wrote, we corrected the Wikipedia. He knew how to do this, to get into it, um, to make the corrections. And so um, finally, then the interview came on after the hour and 50 minutes while we were waiting. So um, Fascinating. Um, Declan, as a publicist at a you know, big five house, what are the kinds of things that you focus on when you're designing a publicity campaign for a biography? I should say that as somebody who reviews a lot of books, I'm often the target of such publicity yeah. campaigns, so I have an opportunity to see it from, uh, from that side of the email. But I, I'm cu- very curious about what sort of thinking goes in- into the creation of these uh, campaigns. Sure. I mean, uh, we're f- fond of saying that there's no such thing as the media. The media is not a monolith. And so we try to take any book, whether it's a biography or fiction or nonfiction or memoir, whatever it is, and we try to look at it from several different angles because there are dozens of different types of medias that exist. So, I mean, there's mainstream media, which everybody knows and everyone wants to be on because it has the most listeners and viewers, and so everyone wants to be reviewed in the New York Times and the Washington Post and whatever newspapers are still alive by the time we leave this auditorium. Um, But the fact is that there are dozens of different ways and dozens of different stories to tell inside one book. Um, So it's important to be able to see your book from many different angles, if that makes sense. Sure. But so when you're actually try, you know, working with an author, figuring out, well, this is, this is I'm going to approach NPR first, or I'm going to send out lots of galleys, or you know, I'm going to come up with some great ideas for op-eds, what, like, what, do you, what do you focus on? Well, I think, I mean, the first, let's say you, you had written a biography on Shirley Jackson, let's say. Let's I say. would say that the first thing <laughs> that the people that live right would do would be putting it in different buckets of media that makes sense to view it in. So they would say, okay, it's a biography of a literary writer. So there are several book pages that are still left, so we want to hit those. And there are several smaller literary-focused places like you know, LitHub and Electric Literature and whatever that we can hit there. It's also a book by a woman and a pioneering woman who wrote on around women so let's hit several kind of cool feminist places like, you know, Jezebel the Cut, the women's magazines, any place like that. Um, she also lived in New England, so they could hit up New England press. Um, I, I just don't know, horror. I'm sure they hit up a lot of different horror blogs and she was a horror writer. Um, so, I mean, it's one book, but you're telling several different stories to several different outlets about what the book is about and what the subject is about. So I realize this is the billion-dollar question, and I'm eager to hear the, each of your take on it. What sells books these days? We're told, you know, is it reviews in major media? Is it, you know, author profiles and features? Is it, um, you know, a nice op-ed that's perfectly timed to the book's pub date? What is it that actually, you know, we, okay, we established that it's not Twitter. So what is it that actually gets people to buy books? I mean, I think there's one important thing to separate publicity out as a separate sort of thing, where the idea of approaching the big media, that's one specific thing. For an author who's been writing this book and cares about this, one of it is to play the long game, this idea of not just looking at the one-month window and seeing, did you get a big hit or not? I think part of it is the idea of just what always works, with it, which is word-of-mouth marketing. So... 
when I talk to authors who are doing well, it's often that they are continuing to brainstorm new people to reach out to, new ways to think about what is a story that's worth telling, what is an angle. So some of that when you're playing not at the, the huge NPR kind of level of how can we get their interest, you're looking at what are people talking about and how does my work fit into that. You're doing a pretty good job of communicating with the readers that you do have, the people who are supporting you that you do have. One thing that authors I think are surprised by are people that they would not think are my reader who support you. They're people that know you, people who are local, people who you just wouldn't understand that and keeping them in the loop is part of it. So I think one aspect of author platform, of the idea of marketing, the idea of anything around that, it's the idea that you're encouraging good communication, word of mouth marketing, and if you're consistently reaching out, and again, I go to that one-to-one -one level because I think it's sustainable over the course of a year or two or three, you're always finding new people to connect with, and that I think is building a wider base for not just that book, but for the next book. But I mean, isn't that incredibly time consuming if you're talking about basically going after readers one by one on a case by case basis? I mean, I think about it at the level of being a professional, you know, and, and that can be defined individually by each and every person. But there is an aspect of you're not writing the book because you wanted to write it. You're proud of yourself and you put it away. You published it. You're participating in the business of publishing. You feel that this story matters and it should be spread and it matters that people read it. So I spend a lot of time talking to people in the children's book industry, just happen to have a lot of friends there. And they're constantly doing school visits. They're constantly, the, the children's literature space, literature, literature space is very active on Twitter. And to them, I mean, it's a very clear line between I read a book to a kid, the kid looked inspired, I feel like I've changed the universe. So you get that really quick there. But it's that idea of they just keep showing up. They keep supporting each other. They keep thinking of new ways of putting it out there. And what I like about that is not is it, oh, is it work, is it professional or not in a way. It's this idea of this is what you care about. These are the stories that you want to connect with people. And the idea of thinking about how else can I connect with them? Uh, who else would care about that? I, I just feel like it's an opportunity that you have because the alternative is our everyday life, which, you know, it's, it's not doing that means that you're just going back to something else. Mm. Melinda, this is another question I often hear from people is whether they should hire a freelance publicist um, because we're often, we're all told, sorry Declan, we're all told that our publishers aren't going to do anything to help us publicize our books and so we have to either do it on our, on our own or hire, you know, hire our paid expert help. I'm interested, you've mentioned your freelance publicist a few times, I'm interested in knowing what went into um, that. Well, I, I interviewed several, mm -hmm. and I had a good friend who published, uh, um, it was a big book with Oxford University Press, and she had to hire her own publicist, too, and set up her own travel mm -hmm. talks. So I knew that I would need to do this, and so the publicist I hired, um, I asked just to do the media interviews, the Facebook and Twitter. So that's what she does, mm -hmm. and that's what I pay her for by the, by the hour. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what so, does that leave for you then? Well, I arrange all, um, a lot of my uh, talks through my Wellesley Network, through Historian. I, I'm still doing this. And uh, one thing I would say is that if you have any anniversary years coming up, mm -hmm. in my case, it was very handy for me. Last November 11th was the 100th anniversary of the signing of the armistice. And the scene that my book begins with is 
the, on the battlefields outside Verdun, where the Yankee Division soldiers sang America the Beautiful. So to commemorate this, I, was, I had a big talk at the Massachusetts State House. I hired a tenor to come and sing the first three verses of America the Beautiful, and then I put the fourth verse on my screen, and, and we all joined in. I had some veterans there who said, stand up, stand up. And so not a dry eye <laughs> was there. But so if there, if there are things that you can pin on anniversaries, mm. et cetera. And, and I would say, I mean, I think of myself as sort of a shy, well, not shy, but quiet person, but I have been shameless in asking friends and all for help mm -hmm. with this. And um, one friend, um, I had already, Chip Bishop and encouraged me to contact Doris Kearns Goodwin for a blurb. Um, and I had a friend who nicely, um, she, he bartends for her sometimes, so he took my book over. And she read my book right and, and wrote me right away, oh, I love this book. I mean, and I'd had such trouble finding a publisher and an agent. And so it was just so mm -hmm. affirming. Besides, yeah. I know that from my publicist that her blurb at the top of the back, pay, back sure. cover was the most helpful thing. Yeah, probably. gosh, we haven't even talked yet about getting into So, the I mean, and, and I've just found if people, you know, someone came to one of my talk who then asked me to give the talk in his town, and um, I had a party in Florida one winter. I met a woman who lived in Chicago, and she said, oh, we want you to come to Chicago to give a talk. So I went there, and she said, oh, and our book clubs ought to read your book. And I said, fine, I would do a FaceTime interview from Cambridge to Chicago to their two groups. And in one of those groups, here was a woman who'd given a fellowship for a writer's residency at one of their uh, places there north of Chicago. So uh, I got that residency awarded to me eventually So because I want to write a uh, YA biography of Catherine. And so, you know, these things just, um, mm -hmm. I guess, I won't say snowball exactly. They build on but, each other. Yeah, they build on right. each other. That's a great point. Um, what would each of you say is the th thing that authors do that is the biggest waste of time? Like what? <laughs> what shouldn't? What? What are people spending a lot of promotional effort on that they just shouldn't be bothering with? It's funny. I think the biggest. I mean, the biggest mistake people make, I think, is just waiting too long. Mm. Um, a lot of people justify, well, I'm writing the book, I've got all this going on, let me focus on that. Well, now, now we're getting the publisher, I'm getting the agent, we're in edits, and it doesn't get through the edits. By the time they think about who is this book going to go to, all the things you're talking about, which are so wonderful, all of that work, they think about it so late in the game that they are forced into the situation that they dread, which is like, hi, my, my new product comes out in a couple of weeks, here it is, can you do something with it? And that's what I'm sure every one of you would say you want to avoid. So the idea of doing some of this work a year, two years, three years, six months ahead, the idea of thinking about, well, who could this reach? Well, where are they? Let me become familiar with that. Who are the names? Who do I know in my network? I mean, I love these stories where it's like, I had a friend who sometimes bartended. You know, it's like, <laughs> I can think of a thousand reasons why someone would say, well, I'm not going to do that. It'd be uncomfortable. It's not proper, whatever. And it's like, that's how it gets done. And the sooner you start thinking of that, the sooner you find these opportunities. So waiting, I think, is the biggest mistake. Right. It doesn't say on the cover of your book, it doesn't say the bartender asked Doris Kearns Goodwin for this blurb, right? Well, she, it was so funny. I, I had met her at one of her book signings uh, on the, the, uh, the book about the Spanish-American War and the Filipino War and all. And she had already researched the Wellesley women 
in the period when my subject, Catherine, was there because of her, her research on Rose Kennedy's life. And Rose Kennedy had had her heart set on going to Wellesley College until the cardinal came by the house to tell her father that um, she needed to go to a Catholic school. And so she said at the end of her life, it was the biggest disappointment of her life that she hadn't gone to Wellesley College. So Doris already had researched some of this. And so that was part of that's great. The, yeah. why, why she was enthusiastic. Declan, what about you? What, what do you think is the biggest waste of time or the greatest mistake that authors make in promotion? Well, just to go back, I want to go back briefly on hiring outside publicists. Just, sorry, not to avoid your question, <laughs> no because offense. I, I kind of wanted to say sometimes it's hiring outside publicists when you don't need to. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I, you know what? The biggest mistake that people make is being afraid of their agents. Say more about that. What do you mean? The agent is on your team and on your side in a way that your publishing house is on your side, is definitely on your side. You're in a financial relationship with them and they're working for you, but your agent is definitely on your side. And you can never call, email, text. You should feel free. If you have an agent, you should be able to call that agent at four in the morning to say that you are feeling anxious and they should have to talk you down. That is the relationship that you should have with your agent. I don't, and I'm, I'm not sure every agent would agree with that. <laughs> I'm just saying I have a lot of authors who I think end up putting some of the energy that they should be giving to their agent and they give it to their publisher and the publishers are not always necessarily equipped or adept at dealing with that energy that would be better given to their Agent. Sounds like maybe you're also saying to their therapist. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you should think like, of your agent. Like, hopefully, you have somebody else you can call it for yeah. in the morning. Well, they should be able to give you moral support. Also, you should never feel that you can't ask your agent to yell at the publisher. The agents should be able to yell at your publisher. The agents should be able to get you more attention for your publisher. You should always be leaning on your agent. I know a lot of people will write a book and then they'll get an agent who they think is a kind of a big deal and then they get afraid to call them or to talk to them or to use them as a resource. Mm -hmm. You should always be using your agent in your research. Your agent works for you in a way. I mean, your publisher should work for you, but even more, your agent absolutely works for you. They should be your closest right. friend and ally. Yeah, that's a good point. If you have some kind of dispute with your publisher, including about the amount of energy they're spending on your promotion, your agent can go to bat for you as far as that's concerned. Yeah, and never feel, double check with them. If you ever have a call, you know, wait till your publisher hangs up and then stay on the phone with your agent and talk to them. That's how you should feel. It should be you and your agent against the world. And you're in a partnership with your publishing house and I, I think that that's the most natural and beneficial way that you should be thinking. But I also want to hear what you have to say about um, why it can be a mistake to hire a freelance publicist. Oh, just because some of them are scammers. Um. <laughs> I mean, but isn't this the case for lots of authors that, um, you know, you have, obviously you have a lot of authors campaigns to manage, you're not going to give everybody the same amount of energy. No. Some of these writers will be served well by hiring somebody else to supplement your work, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, ask your agent who they think is a good person to hire. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say anything that would get me in trouble, so I'm not going to. All right, um, tell me afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, you've been advising authors for more than a decade, right? Yeah. What has changed the most as you've been watching? The, you know, obviously, book reviews have been shutting down, and Amazon has taken over the whole industry, and all kinds of other things have happened. How have these things affected the way people market their books? 
I think it's just the opportunity that you as the individual have to take control of marketing, to reach out to people. And, and almost more than that, it's not just that you have that ability now to use all these channels and to think about it. You have colleagues, you have other authors in your field that you should befriend, you should have colleagues, you should be meeting people here and following up with them and making professional friendships. Because I get to do this, all I do is talk to authors all day. And what you get on the one-to-one -one call is different than you get in a session like this. And I think that you get a real sense of, well, this is what I really did. This is what the publisher really did. This is what they did over there and you should be doing. You should be talking to other authors about this. Um, a lot of authors I know when they're like a debut author, they'll get put in like a, a publisher, they'll get put in like a Facebook group. Like, and they'll have some kind of name, like some debut 2017 for that publisher. And that becomes an incredible resource because they're getting through all the emotional stuff, which I think is good to talk about. But it's also this idea of they're saying, well, what are you doing? Well, did that work? What about this? What have you seen with that? And there's a real big difference between being in like a Facebook group with 10,000 authors and just being overwhelmed and all the newbie questions that keep happening versus having someone you can text, having like five friends or having a small collaborator like that. So I think that's a profound difference that we didn't have probably 10 or 20 years ago. What about either of you have a take on that question? What has changed the most in the industry and how does it affect the way we, we market our books? Um, the thing that has changed most in the industry is the collapse of book pages as standalone book pages. The New York Times is the only standalone book page left in the country. So if you are not thinking about different stories that you can tell, if you're not thinking of a story that your book can tell that doesn't live on a simple one-to-one -one review, mm -hmm. like in the New York Times book review, then you're not doing publicity for your book. You need to be able to think of op-eds that you can write. You need to be thinking of interviews that you can do. You need to be thinking of different stories and places that your book can live other than a critic sitting alone with your book in your room, just because there's, there's not that many of them left. And Melinda, your experience has really shown that. You haven't depended on traditional media at all, really, it seems. No, well, fortunately, I retired from my teaching position the spring before my book came out that summer. And I will say I launched it where Catherine was born on her birthday on Cape Cod in August. Um, so I really enjoyed all the, the trips and all, and all the book talks because I had time to do them. I would just add, this is something I, I want to connect with what you said about books staying in print long, some books lasting longer. When I was at the stage where I really needed it, uh, Jamie Morris called me one day when he was driving for an hour from one place in New Mexico to another place, and I was in Boston, and he gave me a lot of advice about how to do this and that, and he said, you know, your book will be what we call an evergreen book, that it would be something that won't go out of date because it's not tied to something current and all. And I just thought that was such a wonderful idea. Um, it's, and so I guess that's something to, we can all think about as biographers. Right. Um, we don't write our books overnight and right. they're not going to just sell overnight either. Right. But my last question is, say you're faced with somebody who's in the worst case scenario. Their book is coming out next Tuesday and they haven't yet started to think about how to promote it. <laughs> What is the piece of advice you would give them? And you laugh, but somebody actually came to me in this scenario last week. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I don't want to say all the time, but I get that a lot. And I think some of it is it's, it's taking that long view. It's saying, all right, you know, you're going to pick a handful of things you're going to do in this next you know, two-month period. 
And then beyond that, then you're going to get serious again. Then you're going to think about you know, a lot of the stuff we've talked about up here about if you're going to, you know, how you're going to be your platform, who do you need to know, what are the stories in here, and you can pitch them later on. And yeah, I think there is something around a new book that gets people's attention, um, but a lot of these, you're not pitching these to the big media where it's like new, on the scene. These are niche communities. These are individual readers. And I think that that is something that, again, like you... Um, you don't want to be disappointed, and luckily you have this power to kind of keep doing that. So I would say a lot of the things we've talked about today, you would just start then and give yourself a, a year and think about where can I be a year from now instead of where will I be at the end of next week after the book comes out. What about the two of you? Somebody's book is coming out next week. What can they do? Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say, I mean, there's definitely, there can be long tails for books, especially books that are especially for biographies, which tend to be a bit more evergreen. I don't know. I mean, I would always, it's, it's the same as if you're, I guess you're starting a year out, is that you should focus on different stories that your book can tell to different people. And you should realize that if you're doing publicity, begging and haranguing people is not going to get you very far because they have other things to deal with. And so I think you need to be, when you're pitching people or trying to reach out to media or even trying to talk to your own publisher or talking to events coordinators or festival coordinators, whatever it is, you have to be thinking that you are doing them a service. So let's say you really decide you want to go to the Brooklyn Book Festival, so you reach out to the nonfiction person, and what you really need to do in your head is you're not begging them for a spot, you're not haranguing them or telling them that you're the greatest thing in the world and so they have to give you a spot. What you're doing is they have a hole and they are desperate for content, and you are giving them content. And you should gain that mentality if you're pitching op-eds or if you're pitching reviews or if you're pitching interviews, you need to say, uh, Terry Gross has got to talk to somebody and... Might as well be yeah. So uh, what you're doing is you're saying, hey, Terry, do I have a story for you? This is great for you, rather than please, 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 please have me on your show. And you should be thinking of that whether it's a week out, a year out, or six months out. Linda, do you have anything to add? I would just say in terms of the uh, book talks, it, bookstores do care if it's the first six months of your book being published. After that, they don't want you there because they have the new books that have just come in. So that you do need to set those up um, right away. But other presentations, often people's calendars, the, these different organizations I've spoken with, uh, spoken to, um, set their calendar up a year ahead. So um, you, you have time to do that. And uh, I would... It, I, I like this idea of telling different stories about your your subject, and that's how I've done that on my website by describing each of my slide talks, the six, with a description, and then the slide talk for various groups. Of course, everybody wants to hear something about America the Beautiful, but still, thank heavens she was a global traveler and, and had many other um, parts of her life. Thanks to each of you for a really informative and interesting panel. Thanks, um, thanks to all of you. You just heard highlights from a panel discussion during BIO's 2019 conference, featuring PR experts Declan Tainter and Dan Blank, and authors Melinda Ponder and Ruth Franklin. BIO's conference was held on May 18th at the Leon Levy Center for Biography in the City University of New York's Graduate Center in Midtown Manhattan. We'll feature more highlights from BIO's 10th annual conference next week. You can read more about bio on our website, biographersinternational.org.
I'm bio member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. Enzo De Palmer created our theme music. And until next time, thanks for listening and have a great day. <laughs>